Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. You know, it's how one of the things that God does in church fellowships like this one and so many others is that sometimes the people that God surrounds you with and that you meet, maybe that you just met, some, sometimes God has for that relationship like a long-term relationship where there is something that happens whether you are in business, you know, being a business together or in ministry together or a friendship that forms or you go on mission trips together or who knows, but sometimes these relationships are the lifelong friendships. Our best friends are all in the church. They're, it's God has done that. He's drawn people, and it's just amazing how he does this. So you want to continue to reach out, look for someone to meet, to say hi to, to greet, to love on. God forms community that way. It's a wonderful thing. We need each other. Uh, we don't do well all, all by ourselves. You know, what happens is you get weird if you're by yourself. That's exactly what happens. You can prove that over and over and over again. It's the isolated. We're not called to be monks that do not spend time with people and give the kingdom away. I mean, that's, we are called to give the kingdom away. We are called to be around other people. We're called to rub shoulders. We're called to, to develop friendships and to minister to people. And so don't get weird. Meet someone new. There you go. There's the, there's the title for the day. That's right. Be friendly. Okay. Um, Want to um, continue on, hopefully, Lord willing, our last week here in this amazing book called the Book of Hebrews that the Lord has given to us uh, with an anonymous writer. We don't know who wrote this. Uh, could have been Paul, could have been Apollos, uh, could have been Priscilla. That would have been really fun if the Lord did that and just kept a, her name out of there. So who knows? Uh, very well could have been. So, But nonetheless, it came from heaven to, through people, to us, and uh, boy, these guys have done such a great job. We've had uh, Mike and Seth and then Scott shared last week, just incredible uh, to have all these gifts flowing and, and, and learning, growing in and diving into the meat of this incredible book. So I want to continue this today and try and summarize, wrap it up, and um, you know, this writer beautifully described toward the beginning that Jesus and throughout is the focus of all, Jesus. He's supreme, he's overall. He's better than any high priest and then he became the high priest for us. And then he talks about, or she talks about in here, um, you know, the new covenant being better than any other covenant, especially the old covenant. It's better with greater promises. And... Scott talked a lot about that. And of course, we talk about the, the blood of Jesus that we were just singing about that's better than any other blood and that it cleansed better than any animal blood or a person blood. Jesus, his blood. And then this covenant that was established, this new covenant between the Father and Jesus, better than anything, and we have access to this new covenant. We get to live in the covenant between the Father and the Son by faith connected to Jesus. So as we head here into the final three chapters, 
after the writers establish how great Jesus is, how amazing he is and all that he's done and the new covenant that he's given to us better than all, it starts to talk about how we access and how we live in all that is available to us because the how is important as well. So establishing this is here, now it's not just that it's here, it's how do we how do we grab a hold of? How do we apply? You know, applying is a big thing. You can know a bunch of stuff, but if you don't apply what you learn or what you know, it's of no value. It's the same in the kingdom. You can know all about Jesus, all about the Father, all about forgiveness, but if you never receive that forgiveness or forgive others, it's of no value. Everything in the kingdom is this way. That's why we want to not only know God, but we want to take action. We want to apply to our lives and allow God to change us. And so part of these last three chapters, we're gonna talk a lot about that, and that how has to do with exercising our faith to receive and to live with what all that's been given to us. I've found in life that everything that we receive spiritually and many things naturally come by faith. Everything spiritually, how, how do you know you're saved? It's a faith thing, right? It's by faith. How do you get healed? It's by faith. You receive what Jesus has done. You receive that. So what we receive spiritually is by faith. And a lot of things happen naturally, end up happening by faith, and then the natural comes into being. It's pretty amazing how this works. But faith is essential. And we see that the writer of Hebrews starts to um, begin talking about this amazing thing called faith. So let's, I want to Talk about the last two verses of chapter 10 here as we dive into 11 and it all goes together. But verse 38 of chapter 10 says here, but my righteous one, speaking of the Lord saying this, my righteous one shall live by faith. So it's the first time this word is entered into this, this, this book. Uh, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Oh man, what a bummer. When our soul shrinks back and we abandon faith, it's not pleasing to the Lord. I want to be pleasing to him. Your faith pleases the Lord. When you believe, you remember when Jesus was uh, walking around healing people and all that and he came across an unbeliever who had such great faith that he said, Lord, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. This person has like mountain-sized faith, a huge tree, and Jesus is marveling at a Gentile's faith. God loves your faith. He loves my faith. He loves it when we believe what he says, when we trust him with what we have. There's a marveling that God has, which is amazing in itself. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Yes, I agree. We are not like those. We're not gonna shrink back, abandon faith. But we are of those who have faith to the pres preserving, yes, preserving of the soul. I was gonna say persevering. It's preserving of the soul. So we wanna live by faith. You and I need to live by faith not just know about faith, but live by it, active, every day, living by faith. 
not having some tucked away somewhere. You know, there are people with that silent faith. That's okay to have some of that, but we need faith that takes action as well. Not only internal faith that just believes in God, but faith that lives like we believe in God, right? Two different things. Two different things. We need both in movement, okay? Verse, let's go to chapter 11. Verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the writer gives us a little definition of faith. Here's what faith is, if you're wondering. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not even seen. You're convicted, you know that they're there, even though I can't see them with my eyes. And I read the Amplified. There's several versions I love to read. I go back and forth. I read the Amplified. I read the Passion. I like the Message. I like the, the Living Bible, the Tree of Life Bible. Um, I like the Weast. I like the New American Standard. There's so many of these scriptures, these translations, and I will sometimes just read several different ones to get the, the feel or what the Spirit is showing me as to what this really means and the flavor. But the Amplified, I think, brings this out wonderfully. It says, now faith is the assurance, in the parentheses, the title deed, I like that, of things hoped for. When you get the title deed, you've purchased something already, it's yours. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. I know this doesn't make sense, but you just know that you know this is real. You just know that you know it. I mean, do you, if I was to ask you, do you know that Father God is real? Everybody in here, absolutely. How do you know that? Explain that to me. Well, there's a whole lot that goes into that, right? But inside of you, you know. No one can talk you out of it. You know, that's faith. That is faith. That is what we're talking about. So although God has given ample, more than ample, scientific proof of his existence, and we see in Romans 1, just take a look at a tree. Look at anything created. I mean, when you dial into anything that's created, from a tree to a leaf to water or whatever it is, or the universe, and you take a look at what the stars out there, I mean, something is wrong if you don't go, okay, yeah, this just didn't happen. I mean, come on. The, the, what's called the fine-tuning of the universe. Everything is absolutely perfect. The distance from the sun, the earth, the rotation, the gravitational pull, the atmosphere, the magnetic sh- I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. God has given us enough to believe. Yet, at the same time, he requires us to have faith, and he's given everybody enough to believe. Right? Everybody has enough but you can grow what you have. Did you also know that? You can grow your faith. We grow by reading the word, right? We grow by exercising. Faith is like a muscle. As you have muscles, I mean, if you don't exercise, it just shrivels. As you exercise faith, it grows. As you step out and do things and step out on the word, your faith grows. We're called to grow it. So faith being fully convinced in who God is, what he's done, that his word is true. Faith is believing in what he's done and and what he will do. So I can have faith in all of those things. And there have been times, um, I don't know your story, part of my story, 
is that I haven't always had big faith. I have had roller coaster faith, I hate to say, that always faith in God, but sometimes it wanes and it grows and it wanes and I'm not always exercising it, let me put it that way. And the Lord is so kind and generous and personal. Oh, he's amazingly personal and gentle yet strong to help me, especially in this area of faith. So several years ago, um, in this vein, in, <laughs> several years ago, well, let me say this, way back, as I grew up, my eyes were growing more and more dim. Um, by the time I was in second grade, my folks recognized I really needed glasses because I couldn't see very well. So I got glasses and I had 2400 vision, okay? That's not very good vision. Uh, 2020 is where you want to be. 2400, nah, that's lousy. So that's the vision I had. I got glasses, wore glasses, broke many, many pairs playing football and all kind of stuff. All through, my parents were always buying glasses because I'm busting them. Then when I got to high school, I um, got contacts, hard contacts, gas permeable lenses as they call them. And I wore those for over 20 years. After that, I then got laser surgery in both eyes. And then in the last couple of years, I've actually had a cataract that's been removed and they replaced my lens with an artificial lens. So I've got one artificial and one not. So, you know, I've had lots of stuff with my eyes. But the Lord has, has it's began speaking to me through my eyes related to faith. So uh, several years ago, I came home and I went to take my contacts out. With hard contacts, you just squeeze the corner of your eye like that to get them out as I did for 20 years. So I would hold my hand out, do this, and that hard contact would go boring right in my hand, right? Most of the time in my hand. This night, I squeeze my eye, the contact goes flying, I can't find it. I look everywhere. I strip down. I pull everything out of the bathroom. I'm on my hands and knees on the floor looking for this little contact because they're about, you know, they're a couple hundred bucks a piece. And I scour the bathroom for honestly probably an hour and a half or so. I cannot find this lens. Ah, it's frustrating. I finally go to bed. Uh, the next morning, I have to resort to my old glasses that I hadn't worn in a long time. And so I put them on. I don't hate wearing them. I get in the car that morning to head to work. And as soon as I sat in the car, the right lens fell right out of the glass frame into my lap. Man, it's like I'm frustrated all the more. So then I got to go back in the house, find some little piece of wire or tape. The screw is gone, you know, run it through there. And I got, you know, this massive stuff over on the right corner of the frame. And um, I'm now, you know, just, but I got to get to work. Now I'm late. So I'm driving to work. As I start to come home that evening, it was dark. It must have been fall or winter. I don't remember, but it was dark. So I turn my lights on. My right headlight goes out. And then my left headlight goes out. Now, that's really unusual for two headlamps <laughs> to go out at the same time. So I have no lights. And it was at that moment that I felt like, I wonder if God's trying to say something to me. <laughs> so, so many times you go through things in life and we are clueless and we're not paying attention and that's me, oftentimes, I wasn't paying attention. God was trying to get my attention, and I was cool until I lost both headlights. 
Then I said to the Lord, simple thing, and this happens so often, when finally I turned to him, I said, Lord, uh, are you trying to say something to me? And it was instant, inside my spirit, said, Matt, you've lost your faith. And I thought, whoa. He starts speaking to me about my right eye speaks, of, this is just a me thing with God, so we all have our personal language with him. And to me, whenever things are happening with my right eye, he's speaking about my faith. So sometimes I'll get stuff in my right eye. I, I, I'm saying, okay, I start paying attention after this. But the Lord was speaking about my faith. I've lost my faith. I said, Lord, what do you mean I've lost my faith? I mean, I believe in you. I'm, uh, you know, doing the best I can. I'm loving you. I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I don't have any unforgiveness that I know in my heart. I mean, and it just was this deep, just the Holy Spirit in such a wonderful way saying, yeah, but you're not living by faith. You're in Christian cruise control. Just, just, you know, doing, going through the motions. And I could feel the spirit and my spirit confirming this is right and I need to make it a change. So I repented. It's a great thing to do. You know, repentance is a gift. It's a wonderful gift. And so I just said, Lord, I, I can feel that you're right. <laughs> and I, there are things I'm sure I'm not living by faith. So I just ask that you'd forgive me. I repent for not living by faith. Like it says here, his righteous people, they live by faith. Would you forgive me? And as I, as I did that, I said, well, then what, what do you want me to do? Well, what, what do I, and here was a thought. Well, when was the last time, Matt? Yeah, you've been tithing, but you haven't been giving. Now that's different, because the tithe belongs to the Lord, right? It's his, like 10% right off the bat, gross, that's God's. That's not like, no, that's like, no, that's his. Giving is that over and above toward whatever he, he puts in your heart to, to do. Well, I wasn't doing any of that. I'm living paycheck to paycheck, month to month, squeaking by, and probably going into debt. And I feel this invitation to give. I thought, okay, I don't have much to give, but okay. I had someone who came to my mind. Lord, show me who to give to. I went inside. I told my wife. Here's what happened with the contact and the glasses and the lights and all this stuff, and God's talking about my faith, and we gotta do something. So I said, honey, would you, here's how I feel like we need to give to, would you pray about how much we should give, and I'll do the same, and then we'll talk about it. And we did. She came up with the same number that God spoke to me about. Now, all of a sudden, my faith takes a leap just by that, because we had the same number. I was like, wow, okay. I stroke a check out put it in the mail with a note, sent it off. A few days later, I wasn't home. My wife is at home. Someone knocks on our front door. It was a friend of ours. She said, um, I, I'm a messenger. Someone told me to come here today and to give you this and hand us an envelope with many, many, many hundreds of dollar, dollars in it. Hundred dollar bills, whole stack of them counted them out, it was 10 times what we had just sent out. And it was like this conviction hit me. And this wonder and this joy. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is where, this is where I'm supposed to be. I need to be living by faith, looking for opportunities to give, looking for opportunities to live and trust God beyond what I see, beyond what makes sense, trusting him. It's like, you know, when, um, there's it, another area, like, in which the Lord was speaking to me at that same time as well. Like, when did I 
last pray for somebody to be healed? Like, have I been looking for opportunity to exercise that muscle of faith and to pray for someone? That started to change in me. I started looking for people to pray for. So in several levels, I recognized my faith had been dormant in the Lord's words. I'd lost it. But guess what? God's the finder. He's the, he's the one who searches after the lost, whether it's a sheep or faith. And this faith got restored to me to begin living, not just in Christian cruise control, but to begin living by faith. And you know what? Several times since then, I've also found myself back in the CCC. Not Russia, but Christian cruise control. That's a CCCP. But um, then he's, he's then prompted me. Usually something through my right eye that gets my attention a little quicker now. When something's going on my right, I say, okay, Lord, forgive me, and uh, what do I need to do? You know, so I feel this, I, I, it's, it's great. It's a wonderful thing. It's like a meter on your dash, you know, when you run out of fuel. And it, I'm thankful for that little picture of an old gas pump that all of us have in our car that lights up. You know, that's a great thing. Because otherwise, you go straight to empty, and you're on the roads with your thumb up. You know, that's no good. I'm thankful for that indicator. And the Lord gives us indicators when, because it's the spirit who is changing us and making us into his image. So he knows how to speak to us and how to help us. And if we'll respond to him, man, he can do anything. He can do anything with us. Okay. Then he goes on, Hebrews 11, verse three. He starts talking about all of these people 17 plus people he names, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' mom, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, the harlot, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, goes on and on. And then he says, women receiving back from the dead by resurrection. You got some women here in the past, they don't get their names here at this moment, heaven, we get to meet them, who had relatives, friends, husbands, whatever, who died, and they received them back by resurrection, by faith. This is old covenant. How about that? And others were tortured, not accepting their release. Those who were stoned, sawn in two. Yikes. We're just gonna keep reading after that one. That's, that's serious level. Tempted, but put to death with the sword being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And he's speaking of people who exercise their faith all the way to death. They didn't shrink back. People who lived by faith. Then it says here in verse 39, and all these having gained approval through their faith. It's like we are descendants of Abraham by our faith, not just by uh, lineage of the blood, the DNA. It's by faith we are then sons and daughters of Abraham. Here, all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. They didn't get everything that they hoped they would get in this life because God Gives us a reason here. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now, that's a fascinating passage. 
in so many ways. In the ways that God does things, he looks at things so much differently than we tend to view things. He's looking large, wide, broad perspective, wide strokes. We tend to look through me and my and how's thing, how are things going here. God is thinking, planning, working through history, thousands of years towards his purpose. He's working through the entire body of Christ, not just our fellowship or our family or me. He's doing things large scale. And so sometimes what he has called you to do or others to do, it's just a part along the way of his large plan that you don't even get to see the end of it happen yet. Someone else is gonna finish it. Someone else will take it further. You know, the Bible says that some plant, they put seeds in the ground. Others, they're gonna water those things or others are gonna tend that field and take the weeds out, but others get to harvest. Not everybody who harvests got to be a part of the planting. Not everybody who planted got to be a part of the harvest. It's how this works in this huge kingdom that God has. So what has he called you and I to do personally to be a part of the large plan and to have joy in it regardless what it is and even if we don't get to see the full outcome. That's, a, that's a, not only a servant, but that's a son and a daughter. If they are great with trusting Papa with what he has for us to do and allowing him to, be a, to work out the details of how this is gonna look, how it turns out, you know, there's so many, when I, when I read Christian history, I look at all these missionaries and people who worked their tails off and served so well, and some of them did not get to see all the things that they had planted come to harvest, fruition. They started something, they died before they got, that's what we're talking about here. I think of William Wilberforce, this guy, one of my heroes, fighting against slavery, 40 years in parliament, in England, 40 years, every year bringing up this thing, saying this is evil, we gotta stop it. On his deathbed, he gets word it passed. He'd already retired, he was dying, but he, he actually got to hear those words. This is passed, no more slavery in England. Now that's, we don't always get to hear those things. Who knows what God has called you to do, but it's a great question to ask, Lord, what have you called me to do? And how am I taking the baton from someone before that I don't even realize what they did, but I'm still taking the baton and carrying it further with you, for you, for your purposes, for your namesake, for your glory, and it's okay if I don't get to see everything happen that I'd love to see happen. That is faith. That's living by faith. In heaven, you will. In heaven, or it says here, that apart from us, those who've gone before us are not made perfect. So I would say probably the same applies that apart from those after us, we are not made perfect in all we're doing. The things that we do, the things that we give our lives for, we will see in the end, but we need to trust. And then he shows us how we do that. Chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Lay it aside, get rid of it. If you've got a sin, you have the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to lay it aside. 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run your race, not someone else's, right? Fixing, verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is key to life right there, those simple words. One, two, three, four, five words. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. He's gonna perfect our faith along the way who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But how do we run our race? By fixing our eyes on him and doing what he leads us and asks us to do. As we do that, his will will be fulfilled in our lives and in this larger family of God that he's got moving toward the end here. We're all a part of this huge family, this kingdom of heaven, great saints, mothers and fathers in the faith have gone before us. And that encouragement is to help us lay aside any sin that's trying to entangle us. Look, look what they did. I wanna live like they did. And then verse four through 11 talks about God disciplining us for our good to help us and that we should submit to discipline. And that is, that is language foreign in our culture right now. But discipline is a great thing. It's a little bit like repentance. It's a gift. If we will submit ourselves to being disciplined by God who loves us and wants the best for us, whew, he's gonna do some amazing things on the inside to help us run our race. Every person needs parents that will love them enough to discipline them, Right? The Bible says if, if a parent doesn't discipline a child, they what? They, it says they, they hate their child. So discipline means that you love. And we, one of the ways we know God loves us is because he disciplines us, because he brings conviction. That's one indicator. I go, thank you, thank you for your love for me. Because you're not letting me get away with that. Because you see the wrong in me and you're willing to send your spirit to convict me that is so loving. You know, when I was in my early 20s, I went to, uh, before I was married, I went to this young adult Bible study, and in there was this, I think she was maybe a senior in high school, this girl, I don't even remember her name, but it just has stayed with me. She told the story in talking about her family that her parents let her do whatever she wanted to do. No curfew, no following up, just, you know, have fun, do whatever you want to do, give her money to do what she wanted to do. She said, sometimes at midnight or one in the morning, I'll go outside, sit on the side of a curb and cry and dream about my dad looking for me. Just wish that he loved me enough, cared enough to come looking for me, to give me a rule, to give me some guidelines to live by. And he never did. That's because we were made to provide guardrails, boundaries, and discipline for children. It speaks of love. When we do that, we're loving them. When we correct them, when there are consequences to behavior, that is love. And God does that for you and I. I'm so thankful he does. He disciplines me. He disciplines us. He doesn't let me get away with stuff. I've always felt like I've had a short chain with God. <clears throat> I start moving the wrong way, and I feel this, uh, oh. That's a good thing. It's like, thank you, Jesus, because if I didn't have that, I'm gonna go astray. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna start doing things I do not need to be doing and they're gonna hurt other people, not just myself. 
So I'm thankful for discipline. We need to respond and submit to the discipline of the Lord. Part of that, you know, just in, in just normal life is recognizing that it's not everybody, anybody else's fault of where I am personally in life. Taking responsibility is that humility for my life and saying, Lord, I am where I am because of choices I've made and your help. In areas that are not right, I want to take responsibility for that too. And forgive me, forgive me, Lord, I own it. You know, there's this principle that you can't disown something you've never owned. You can't give away something that's not yours. But if you own it, you can give it away. It's the same with sin. If I own my sin, if I own the stuff that I've done wrong, instead of saying, you know what, my parents, they really didn't give me everything I needed and that's why I'm this way. Or, um, you know, they, I was mistreated. I was mistreated. That's why I behave the way that I do. That's why I act the way that I do. That's why I say the things that I do. That's why um, I do this. If I blame someone else, then we never get forgiven. And there's no help from heaven. Personal responsibility is another beautiful thing. Well, we need it in our country right now. We need it in our lives where we take responsibility for what we've done. No, there's grace. Grace to help. Grace to change. Heaven's help for us. And you know, sometimes it's things like this. And I've got all these things, some of these in my life as well. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will help us, not just like, there's some people that just talk too much. They just talk all the time. They're getting attention and taking people's attention to hear their words. Their words, they're, trying, they're, they're getting fed by attention. There's some people who don't talk enough. They're silent. Everything is internalized. They don't share the things that need to come out. Now, both of those need adjustments. The Holy Spirit will adjust both of those. Sometimes we're not authentic. We're one way in front of certain people and we're a different way in front of others. That's the Holy Spirit wanting to us to change us, convict us. No, I want you to do the same all the time. Right? It's those type of things, the Holy Spirit, he wants to get in there and to help change us, convict us. And humility says, yep, I talk too much. Lord, would you help my tongue? It says in James about the tongue, I, I wanna say the right words at the right time, in the right season. Ephesians 4.29, let, oh, no, let no unwholesome word come from your mouth the only one that gives grace in a moment. I want my tongue to be that way so that I'm not just sharing words for attention to feed something in me. Or I'm one way when I'm home and I'm one way up here on the stage and I'm one way when I'm out and about. I don't want any of that, Lord. So where there are those um, incongruent ways in me, ways that are not clean and right and authentic, change me. And he wants to change us. You know, we're not just supposed to stay the same. I hear this, I've heard this many times. This person will just say, well, that's just who I am. Just better get used to it. That's just what I do. Those are the kind of words I just say. Yeah, that's just how I am. If you don't like it, you know. That is a lousy Christian right there. That is not who we're called to be. We are called to be these caterpillars that turn into butterflies, that change, and the Holy Spirit does the metamorphosis on the inside of us to change us to be who we are not to who he is, like him. So we can't give ourselves excuses. That's just what I, that's just, you know, that's just me. No, I need to change. 
And the Holy Spirit will help me if I'll let him. And we don't want to blame anybody else. Of course, that started in the garden, as you know, when God asked Adam, um, did you eat of the tree, the forbidden fruit that I told you about? Uh, you know, it was that woman you, you gave me. He, he, two blames in one sentence. It was that woman you gave me. In other words, I am not to blame. It's the woman and you. That is the sin of mankind that just has trickled all the way through. And we as followers of Jesus are supposed to be the exact opposite. When conviction comes, we don't point. We go, I repent. Lord, change me. All right. Verses 18 through 24, it's this reminder that we're no longer under the old covenant and we can't get close to God only like Moses like he was the only one who was able to do that, we can all get close to God now. We can all approach the throne of grace. And instead of a shaking mountain with terror and fire and smoke that Moses experienced and the people experienced that were watching, we have an unshakable kingdom that we are in with this father who loves us. Yes, he's strong. Yes, he deals with sin. Yes, there's consequences, but we can approach him knowing he's our papa. And because of Jesus, there is forgiveness, there is grace. His blood, as we were just singing about, has washed over me. I can approach him. I can have relationship with him. It's pretty amazing. The currency of this new kingdom, which it says is unshakable that we're a part of, is really love and faith. My old mentor, said to me, you know, if you could boil down Christianity, it comes down to two things, faith and love. Those two things. It really is this, this currency. When we love and when we have faith, those, they work together for everything in this kingdom. Loving, it's the economy that keeps, it's the economy of the kingdom that keeps growing every quarter without any recession. This kingdom of heaven says it grows and grows and grows, never stops growing doesn't um, just uh, flatten out, just continues to grow, the kingdom that we get to be a part of. Till one day, it says in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's where we're headed, this kingdom that we get to be a part of. And then chapter 13, we'll wrap this up here. Just as in 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about love. The writer starts this chapter similarly. It says, let love of the brethren continue. I'm not gonna read this whole thing. And then it says, verse two, show hospitality to strangers, especially those who are in the faith. Show hospitality to strangers. So he starts, or she begins to speak to us about not only faith, taking action, but then ways to take action with our faith. Loving people. That's taking this faith that this baton that's been passed to us. As I love people, I am moving forward in this kingdom. As I'm showing hospitality to strangers, this is a kingdom activity. And you never know, it says here, throws a little bonus. You might be showing hospitality to strangers and it ends up being an angel that God sent undercover. How about that? Think anybody in here has had, had that happen yet? Raise your hand. We've got one person back here too. Look at this. We've had several. 
that an angel shows up and is in human clothes, yet it's an angel. I had a, a similar experience. I won't go into that. That's a whole other story that was pretty amazing. Anyway, verse three, remember prisoners as though in prison with them. Wow, that's a great memory. I have a friend who um, got rid of his bed as a kid. He told his dad, just take my bed out of my room. I don't want a bed anymore. He's like, his dad was like, how come? He says, because I want to sleep on the ground like most of the world sleeps and think about how they live and what they go through so I can pray for them. He was like 11 when he did that. And he continued that as his life. I met him when he was in his late 20s. He was still living that way. I actually went to his house. Um, and he had that, like this, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. There are people in prison throughout the world for their faith. Right now, not in this country, many, many other countries. It says to remember them. And he's, then he's begins to speak about marriage. Marriage is to be held in honor among all with no fornication or adultery. Starts to talk about morality, sexual immorality. Verse five, make sure your character is free from the love of money. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. Of course, we know the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, right? The love of it. It's not bad to have money. We need it, but not to be in love with it. That's an issue. It goes on to say, remember your leaders who brought you the word of God and imitate their faith. Obey your spiritual leaders who keep watch over your souls. I'm not gonna harp on that. But it is the Bible. And then he wraps up with this in verse 20. Ending, well, let me say this. I'll say that. So one thing in there. You know, one of the things people have asked me at times, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? <clears throat> and uh, I always say this, that when you share with someone something that you know to be right and true and helpful for their lives, and they do the exact opposite. It's kind of like with your kids. If you tell them what is good and right and what they should be doing, and they ignore it and do the exact opposite, and you see what the consequences in their life, that's the hardest thing as a pastor, is to see occasionally, doesn't happen a ton, but when people will do the exact opposite and do the wrong thing and then you watch the, uh, you watch the difficulties in their life that don't have to be there. That's one of the toughest things. So I think that's one reason why it says here, obey your spiritual leaders. They're watching over your souls. It's, uh, there's something that God has done in this family this way that's a, a bit of a parental, parental type of, I uh, would say, um, aspect to pastoral life. And then in the end, it says here, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, he's taken all these things he's been talking about, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. I wanna pray that over you right now as we go. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will. I'm gonna add by faith. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
Amen. And Lord, we do ask that. We ask, Lord, that our faith would continue to grow, would be exercised, that we would live, Lord, with the great value of your blood and your sacrifice in all that you did, that we would esteem you so highly that we would live in a way that would be pleasing to you. Lord, I ask for all of us in this room, all that are watching, that our faith would increase we would exercise that which you've given to us already. You've given us a measure of faith. Lord, help us to grow it, to believe in you, to step out, to give away what you've given to us freely. You said freely you've received, freely give. Lord, we wanna give away freely what you've given to us. Grow our faith. Help us to live in the way that pleases you in every aspect, from our marriages to, Lord, responding to conviction to responding to your discipline, not fighting against your discipline, but submitting to it, humbling ourselves, being changed daily. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for changing us. We love you, appreciate you. And Lord, I bless every person listening, watching. Lord, fill them this week. Use them this week for your glory. Let your name be made known more and more this week through all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.